we are continuing on in our work series. And as I was thinking about this series, the Rihanna song kept like playing over and over in my mind. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that song. Work, 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 work. Um, and, but that's kind of besides the point. <laughs> I was reading up on, uh, I read this article the other day on activism on social media. Activism on social media. And um, do you have the screenshot? Uh, Riley of that first one and uh, it was written a couple years ago uh, almost exactly two years ago and uh, this article from the New Yorker uh, seemed to think that activism was very effective on social media but there were some caveats to it right and this kind of got me going down this like rabbit hole of reading articles and news and op-eds uh, to see what the general consensus was on this topic. Like, is activism effective on social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so on and so forth, right? And there are literally hundreds of, of examples we can choose from, but we're just going to look at a few, okay? Uh, first, uh, five years ago, a woman by the name of Tarana Burke came up with this hashtag, uh, me too. Okay. And I think we have a picture of the woman, Tarana Burke. All right. Uh, she was the first one to kind of create this hashtag and it began to rapidly trend on social media. Right. And this hashtag was regarding sexual harassment, abuse, and misogyny against women specifically. All right. So there are many celebrities uh, who kind of caught on to this and helped spread this hashtag and create more awareness. Uh, one of the first ones to get on this train, this Me Too train, was Alyssa Milano, um, uh, uh, actress that I had a crazy mad crush on when I was a teenager. Uh, she got behind this trend and brought it uh, greater awareness, and it brought about like inspiration and unity among uh, many women of different social political backgrounds, cultures, and ages. However, if it only stayed on social media, its power was relatively ineffective. It, the purpose of Me Too was to give women courage to stand up for themselves. It wasn't just so that they could talk about it on social media and just be like an echo chamber for different women to just talk about their experiences. It was actually meant to go beyond social media so that they could actually create like change, like actual change in their surroundings. Um, and so we see, we see justice actually coming down as a result of this with like millionaire film producer Harvey Weinstein and former US women's gymnastic physician, Dr. Larry Nasser. But it was only after it moved beyond social media that hashtags like Me Too actually became effective. Okay, now let's move on to maybe a little bit more controversial one. Dun, dun, dun. Hashtag Black Lives Matter, okay? Um, now, this has created like a, a lot of stir in, the, in our country, right? And we've seen its effectiveness when Black Lives Matter protests and rallies like came together. It was like pretty, it was pretty radical actually. And this was actually like way bigger than the civil rights movement of the 60s, which is pretty crazy if you think about it, right? And a lot of the reason why this movement was so powerful it's because of social media, right? It's just getting the word out and things like that. However, however, many people fail to recognize 
that Black Lives Matter is actually a nonprofit organization. It's actually a nonprofit organization that's highly organized, it's very well funded, and it has very distinct, clear leaders. They have a fully paid staff, and um, it's nationally organized, right? And so it's not just on social media. It's not just activism on social media. Black Lives Matter is actually a fully functional nonprofit organization, right? And that's one of the reasons why they're able to bring about radical change in our government, in our society, in our country. Uh, let's look at one more example. Uh, about 11 years ago, we've also seen it work in Egypt in January of 2011. Okay, that's Tahrir Square in Egypt. I don't know how many of you guys remember this. I can't believe this was already 11 years ago. This feels like it just happened like a few years ago, a couple years ago. Maybe that just shows that I'm getting old. <laughs> so like years go by like months now. <laughs> um, this is when thousands of Egyptian young adults gathered together in Tahrir Square to demand the overthrow of corrupt dictator, um, what's his name? Oh, I want to make sure. Oh, uh, Hosani Mubarak. Okay, Hosani Mubarak. Um, and they actually were able to do it. They were actually uh, able to have him, force him to resign, which is crazy, you know? And they were all upset because he uh, wasn't providing the, the money and um, the food and the rations that was required for them to just survive. And so thousands and thousands and thousands of Egyptian uh, young adults came together and this word spread really quickly because of social media, because of Twitter and Facebook. That's how they were able to get the word out and say like, hey, come gather to Tahrir Square and we're gonna protest for the overthrow of this corrupt dictator. However, unfortunately, this victory was very short-lived because shortly after the Muslim extremist group, Muslim Brotherhood, um, kind of uh, took over the government and they simply replaced one corrupt dictator for another, which is very unfortunate. So why is it then that some movements, some social justice movements, some activism on social media is effective while other ones are not? Uh, well, this author, uh, her name is Dr. Gal Beckerman, and I think we have the picture of the book. Yeah, she wrote this book, The Quiet Before, on the unexpected origins of radical ideas. Dr. Beckerman is Atlantic Magazine senior editor for books, and she is a doctorate in communications from Columbia University, their journalism school. And she argues that social media uh, is, quote, extremely ineffective at allowing people to focus, <laughs> to organize their thoughts, to become ideologically coherent, to strategize, to pick leaders, and to refine a message. <laughs> so ultimately, activism on social media is great in bringing about awareness, inspiration, and maybe even unity, but it's relatively ineffective if it simply stays in social media. Right? So it actually has to move beyond social media uh, to bring about significant change. Right? It has to go beyond social media and actually has to be people actually coming together in real life, <laughs> getting organized, choosing leaders, and coming up with strategies to bring about change in the streets, in their workplaces, in their schools, 
and in the courtrooms. So ultimately, in short, and this might be an oversimplification, so forgive me, uh, activism in social media is passive. Activism on social media alone is passive. Now, these articles and books, uh, these news pieces are not saying anything new. Uh, the Bible has been teaching us about the difference between active faith and passive belief for literally thousands of years. And if we understand and apply this critical difference between active faith and passive belief in our own faith, then it will spill over into every other area of our lives, which brings, about, uh, which brings us to our central truth for today. God works, good works is a result of active faith, not passive belief. And that's our central truth for today. Good works is a result of active faith, not passive belief. Okay, now what does active faith look like? What does active faith look like? Well, that's what we're going to explore together for the next 20 minutes or so. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, would you turn with me to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. If you don't have your Bibles, go ahead and look at the screen. If you're watching online and you can't read that, I will read it for us today. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied, by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Let's pray. Lord, as we explore what it means to have active faiths in our lives, would your Holy Spirit reveal to us the ways we are holding back. Not in the ways that we are masquerading ourselves or the ways that we are faking our faith, but how are we holding back? So many times we are suppressing our faith that is living and breathing and alive and well, yet because of the people around us or maybe the society we live in or this toxic culture that we are living in, we suppress our faith and not let it breathe, not let it live, not let it sweat and be alive and well. Lord, help us to examine ourselves. Holy Spirit, reveal our, open our eyes and reveal the ways that we are holding back and help us to restrain ourselves no longer and to truly live out our lives of active faith. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, so today we are reading from the book of James. Uh, James is, a lot of people assume that James is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, which is uh, his nickname, but it is not. The book of James was written by none other than Jesus' own brother, okay, uh, his biological brother. Um, I guess in some ways you could say his half-brother because he's a brother from the same mother, but a different father, right? Because uh, Jesus was born uh, by Immaculate Conception, and then after him, he had siblings, and James was actually one of those siblings. Uh, what's interesting about James is that he actually did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God until after Jesus's death and resurrection. But can you really blame him? Okay, I don't know how many of you here are younger siblings or older siblings, um, but can you imagine, because James is Jesus's younger brother, right, obviously, because Jesus was born by uh, the Virgin Mary, and so can you imagine being in the shadow of Jesus <laughs> as your older brother, right? Like nothing you do will ever live up to that, right? So I could kind of empathize with where James is coming from by not actually believing in Jesus as the son of God until after Jesus's death and resurrection. And so after he actually like devoted himself to um, living for Jesus Christ and to being a servant of God, he was placed as the leader of a church in a very famous city, okay? Um, and that is none other than the city of Jerusalem, okay? So James, being a Jewish man, being the younger brother of Jesus, right? The, the early church saw no one better to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem than James. Uh, James was a natural fit to lead this church in Jerusalem because uh, he was also a very, very devout Jew, and he took his Jewish faith very seriously, just as seriously as he did his Christianity, his Christian faith. In fact, the Christians in Jerusalem were such devout Jews and such devout Christians that their religion was giving, given the term Jewish Christianity because they were kind of like in a class of their own. Uh, these Jewish Christians are precisely the people that Jesus is writing or that James is writing to in this book, okay? And the reason why I have to explain that is because I'll, I'll explain a little bit later. Uh, but he says in uh, chapter one, verse one, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, okay? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And he's specifically talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. So James is writing to from kind of like the headquarters of Judaism, Jerusalem, to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters uh, within and outside of this holy city of Jerusalem. And if you read the short book of James, you will notice that James is very blunt. He is very direct. And he doesn't care if what he is saying is offensive to people, right? He probably figured like, I don't have that much time. I'm going to write the short letter and I'm just going to get to the point and I don't care if people's feelings are hurt, <laughs> right? He's so blunt, right? He's so blunt. And even in these sh uh, few short verses, you probably just got a little taste of that, right? Uh, and in the beginning of today's passage, it says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith 
but have no deeds, or but has no deeds. Can such a faith save them? And he goes on to say in verses uh, 15 and 16, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, the word good that James uses here, he's not talking about righteousness, okay? He's not talking about righteousness. He's, the word good can also be translated as gain, profit, or benefit, okay? Uh, profit with a F, okay? F-I-T, okay, profit. Like, like, how does it benefit others if you have a faith without deeds? So this is the first sign of what it means to have an active faith. Active faith actually benefits the people around them. Active faith actually benefits the people around them. Um, that's the first point. Is it on there? Yes, there it is. Okay. Active faith actually benefits the people around them. So if we live lives of active faith, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, uh, our classmates, they should all somehow benefit from that. Just, just naturally, just by you being there, right? Just by you being alive and like, <laughs> like near them or being spending time with them, okay? Active faith actually should benefit the people around them. Uh, before uh, the movie The Hobbit came out, the, the trilogy, I don't, I don't know why it was made into a trilogy. Um, it was like one of my favorite books when I was younger. And I remember this line that Gandalf the Grey, the great wizard said in that book, The Hobbit, uh, which is, I don't know if you know, it's the prequel to uh, Lord of the Rings. And he talks about um, the evil Saruman, okay? The evil wizard Saruman. Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I have found it is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. And James, uh, specifically gives a couple examples, right? In verses uh, 15 and 16. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Okay, there's that word again, good. How does it benefit them? How do they gain from that, right? How does it profit them? And the word that James used here when he says go in peace is the very famous word that Jews say to each other all the time, even to this day, which is the word shalom, okay? And that doesn't mean like the opposite of war, okay? That means uh, wholeness or completeness. So if you say to someone shalom, <laughs> um, but do nothing about it, it's like an empty promise, it's like an empty promise. Go in peace, meaning like, I hope your life is full. I hope your life, your life is whole and complete. And they're starving <laughs> or they're naked and you just walk away. That seems uh, like an empty promise, right? It seems almost like hypocritical to, to do that or to even say that. Now, so some of you might think like if, um, if anyone sees someone who is naked and hungry, and you say to them, right, 
find some clothes and eat some food. <laughs> that seems like almost cruel, doesn't it? But people with like passive belief kind of do this uh, regularly. Now, what, and so uh, James kind of continues on in saying in uh, the following verses, in the same way, in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In verse 18, it says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. A good way of actually recognizing if we have our, if our active faith is being exercised or practiced is if we are physically getting involved, okay? Is if we are physically getting involved. And that's the second thing we can learn about active faith, okay? Active faith gets physically involved. Like our actual bodies have to get involved, right? We have to go somewhere, buy some food and bring it to someone who's hungry. We have to, if someone is naked, right? We have to like take off our like jacket or something and like give it to them, right? If um, someone is in need, right? Um, and maybe you're like helping out a, a country that's hit by a natural disaster or poverty. You actually have to like get out your credit card <laughs> and make a donation to help that country that's impoverished, okay? Active faith has to get physically involved, not just on social media, not just by signing some online petitions and not just by forwarding an email. The world cannot change by us clicking on a few buttons while we're lying down in bed. <laughs> okay, it actually has to go beyond that. We actually have to get physically involved. That's exactly why James says in verse 18, show me your faith without these and I will show you by my faith, by my deeds. And the reason why he gives this specific example, okay, and in um, verse 19, I think, he also kind of elaborates on this. Oh, you believe that there is one God, okay? That is like a very common expression that Jews would say, okay? There is one, only one God and none other God, no other gods, all right? That's a common expression that Jews used to say like all the time, right? And so he's, uh, he's addressing specifically Jewish Christians here. And one of their favorite pastimes as Jews is even to this day, okay, even to this day, for thousands of years, one of their favorite pastimes is to argue and to debate. And maybe that's why, uh, I hope this doesn't sound racist, but maybe that's why Jews make such good lawyers, okay, because it's kind of built into their culture. They grow up like arguing and debating with each other all the time. Everyone from like, like old rabbis to like housewives to little children. Every Jewish person loved to argue. It was like really fun for them. And so their idea of a good time was to come together and debate and argue about everything, right? From politics to romance to novels and definitely to religion and God. And they would often not come to a conclusion. They would just end, they would leave with more questions than they had to begin with. And this was one of their favorite things. It was like really fun for them. It still is, right? It still is. Um, and so that's why a lot of Jewish, even comedians, a lot of their humor, a lot of their jokes are simply questions. 
you know, why is it, <laughs> like Jerry Seinfeld, he goes, why is it that so-and-so, right? It's a very Jewish way of talking, right? And so this is what James is specifically addressing. They did this so often and so well, and they loved it so much that they thought that this was what faith was. This is specifically why James is saying, like, faith without works is dead. All your talking, all your debating, and all your discussions are meaningless. You actually have to get physically involved, and your faith actually has to benefit the people around you. And it sounds like I'm, like, criticizing, like, Jewish faith, like, a lot, and maybe I am, but... There was a point in my life when, like, I thought faith was like this. When I was uh, in my early 20s and I went to seminary, uh, which is graduate school for people who want to go into ministry, um, that was the first time in my life I actually loved to study. All throughout high school and college, it was just like I, I just did it because I was forced to or because I had to, right? And then I went to graduate school, I went to seminary, and I ate it up. I loved it. I love studying theology. I love studying church history. I love studying New Testament and Old Testament. Um, and even to a certain extent, I loved studying the original biblical languages like Greek and uh, Hebrew. I was pretty horrible at it, but I, I love studying it. And for, for those few years, I thought that's what it meant to be a good Christian, to know the Bible, to study it all the time, and to be able to like understand it. And I read passages like this, right? Even reading it and studying it this past week, preparing for today's message, it was just like a big slap in the face. <laughs> just like a strong reminder. No, active faith actually requires work. <laughs> and it actually has to benefit the people around you. And after a certain time, we keep practicing uh, this exercise of helping others and doing good works, our faith longs to do good works. It craves to do good works. And that's the last thing that this passage teaches us about having an active faith. An active faith longs to do good work. So people with passive belief, okay, they just, like in their minds, they believe in God, right? They believe that Jesus is the son of man and the son of God, right? They believe that Jesus did all these miracles uh, died an unjust death on the cross, was buried, and three days later, he resurrected, right? And they, they believe all that, right? I find it that people with passive belief or no belief, right, when they are given this opportunity to do good works, they often ask themselves, how will it benefit me? How will it benefit me? But people with active faiths, they don't really ask themselves that question. They see someone in need, or they see someone who's lonely, they see someone who's hurting, and just almost out of instinct, they just help that person. Because active faith benefits the people around them. It's not seeking to benefit themselves, right? It's seeking to benefit the people around them. So it's a way of like giving recklessly without seeking anything in return. Um, just as a healthy, living, breathing body longs for food, water, rest, and even recreation, 
A healthy, living, breathing faith longs to do good work. And if you go a long time without doing good work, you get this like itch, <laughs> maybe like a spiritual itch where you just have to like scratch it and you're like, oh, I just, I just have to serve. I have to like give, I have to like uh, help someone. Okay, I have to like uh, do something like to exercise my faith. Um, at the risk of sounding like a douchebag, I'm gonna talk about, um, I'm gonna use myself as an example about um, me and exercise. Uh, about five years ago, I injured my back. Uh, I got a herniated disc and um, it caused me to have sciatica down the back of my left leg. And um, it was pretty uncomfortable, it was pretty painful, but I was able to like somewhat tolerate it for a few years. Um, but I couldn't sit for a long period of time without my back and my left leg hurting a lot, right? So after sitting for 30 minutes, right, 30 minutes, like I would be in like excruciating pain. So, and I was really scared to get surgery. So I did a, a lot of physical therapy. I got really into yoga and I started like exercising more and also kind of paying attention to my body, right? The way I move, right? And the kind of food that I eat. And I kind of got into this rhythm of doing that, right? And um, after three years or so, or four years of doing that, uh, um, it was kind of all like just kind of temporary relief. And so I finally just decided to like um, take that step and like get surgery. So like two years ago, or a year and a half, two years ago, I got surgery on my lower back. Um, there's still a little scar there, which my kids like make fun of all the time. <laughs> and um, it's much better. But because I've been doing physical therapy, yoga, and kind of being more mindful of my body for those like three years or so, like I still do it, right? I still exercise regularly. I, I love doing yoga, right? And I'm just more mindful of my body. And now if I don't exercise more than like just once a week, right? I, I try to exercise like like three or four times a week. If I only exercise like once a week or not at all, it really bothers me. Like I get like irritated, I, I, my, I get restless, you know, like I kind of feel it in my body. I'm like, I, I need to, I need to exercise. I need to do some yoga, right? I need to do some stretches, you know, I got to move my body, right? That's kind of how I feel when my faith is dormant for uh, a period of time. If I'm not actually like exercising my faith, after a while, I feel like something is missing in my life. I feel like something is wrong. And this is what I mean by active faith longs to do good works. We crave it. We crave it. And before when I used to read this passage, I kind of took it as like, you know, oh, I, I felt so judged. <laughs> I feel like James is judging me, right? But now I read it and I, I realize like, we suppress our faith so much because of the people around us. Maybe the people around us are not people of faith because of our culture. Our culture is so toxic, right? And so self-absorbed and so narcissistic, right? That it, we feel weird by wanting to do good things. Right, and then if we do good things, like people look at us like, oh, wow, why'd you do that, <laughs> right? Like, and so we're like, oh, was I not supposed to do that? 
No, we are. But it's just we live in such a toxic culture that it's not normal, right? It's not normalized, which is very, very unfortunate. And in closing, I want to read probably to me, this is like the scariest verse in all of Bible, okay, in, in, in all of scripture, okay, which is verse 19. Um, Riley, could you pull up uh, the passage again for us? Yeah, there it is. Okay, verse 19, okay, just in case uh, your Bibles aren't open. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> now, the reason why this is probably like the scariest verse in all of scripture for me, it tells me that demons believe in Jesus Christ. Meaning like they know that Jesus lived a perfect holy life. They know that Jesus died the death that we should have died on the cross. They know that three days later, he resurrected from the dead. They believe that, right? They, they know like cognitively, they understand that and they believe it, that that actually happened. And the reason why this verse is so scary to me is because like, I think most Christians today <laughs> uh, believe in the same way that demons do not actively living out their faith. This is what passive belief looks like. Just believing like in your mind that these things happen, that Jesus actually did these things, but not actually like living it out in uh, our faith, like in active ways. So a reflection question that um, I want us to leave with is this. How can I regularly exercise my active faith? To have a faith with teeth, <laughs> with flesh, that sweats, right? That gets physically involved, that benefits the people around them, and that craves to do good works. Because that is something in our spiritual DNA that God has instilled in all of us, in all people of faith, right? How can I regularly exercise my active faith? And if you don't feel like it, just do it, right? Just like how, like, maybe there are days where um, I don't feel like exercising or working out my physical body, but I, I just have to force myself to do it. And then now it's to the point where, like, if I don't do it for a period of time, like, I feel like something's wrong, right? So ask yourself, how can I regularly exercise my active faith? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for challenging all of us. Thank you especially for challenging me today to regularly exercise my faith. So often I let the people around me, the society, uh, this toxic culture that we live in um, suppress my faith. And I get restless and I get anxious and I feel like something is missing from my life. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the ways that we are holding back and to regularly exercise our faith on a daily basis, even if it's little things, you know, starting with little things, just help us to do it regularly. And I don't know 
what that will look like for each and every one of us. It'll probably look different for each and every one of us, but I know that we all are capable of it and that we all long for it. And that is the only way that we can ever experience shalom in our own lives. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, speak to us, and help us to pay attention. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Right. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next time.